You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Dial of Destiny edition, Box Office Bomb edition. (laughs) Man. It's not going to bomb more than Flash. Well, the problem is it's way more expensive than Flash. This is one of the most expensive movies ever made. It costs, after advertising, I mean, Disney is always coy. Every studio is always coy about these numbers. But we are looking at something in the realm of about four hundred and fifty million dollars spent on this movie with advertising. Are you kidding me? Which oh is ridiculous. It's not. If you're gonna spend that much money on a movie, it should look like it. Yeah, it should be. It would be nice if that money was up on the screen. Oh. But yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where Indiana it, Jones should be able to market itself. Just make the good movie, for goodness' sake. And. If they'd spent less money, if they'd had to like, let's just boringly crash together some real tuk-tuks instead of creating computer tuk-tuks, suddenly we have a movie that everybody would be much more excited about. And they could even market. This is the other thing I heard somebody say, and I've been thinking about this, the amount of goodwill and marketing they could have done if they were like, 80-year-old Harrison Ford is pulling a Tom Cruise. And obviously he wouldn't be able to do anything like what Tom Cruise does, but if they just did the lame... 80-year-old version of he doing his own stunts. He's held onto that motorcycle and like they really could have even if it was relatively sedate and not that great, that's such a cool hook. And Harrison Ford would be so excited and probably did want to do as much as it's like the 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 lame practical version of this movie that's more in line with the motorcycle chase from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull than anything else would be so much more exciting and probably sell more Mm -hmm. tickets. Anyway, folks, yep. we are here. Well, you know, you yes. know what, what this movie would need for that? Someone who is good at directing action sequences. Oh. He would still need that person. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> because, was... Because, yeah, was we didn't have well, that person. Well, I mean, I don't know. Did you not you like think the I'm being acting? Well, no, I'm not, not to this movie, but did you think the action was bad in Ford versus Ferrari? Because I, I didn't. I thought it was pretty exciting. No. But it was well, all chase I have stuff, thoughts about. Right? Yeah, it was all chase stuff, but I thought I just have thoughts about Mangold and what he's good at and not good at. I will tell you, and I would. Well, I think it's all pretty clear now. He, he. <laughs> I will say the the first Wolverine movie. I didn't like Logan. It was just obvious and gory. But the the first Wolverine yeah. movie that he did has terrible action scenes that are very much in line. That's with That's right. I never watched. Any That's of right. Those movies. That's yeah. right. That's so, what I was gonna say. The, yeah, so the you have only more context scene for him than I do. For, well. He he has a fun problem. He's he's not he's just not very I think that what works about Ford v. Ferrari is that those race sequences are like drama suspense sequences. They're not like typical bang bang chase. But that's what's exciting about sequences. some of the uh, I mean the okay, so you got the truck chase scene or you've got the basket chase scene. If you're thinking of Raiders, right? Like those those yeah. work as drama suspense more than they work as some kind of bang bang action sequence, well, right? Like okay. that's what's exciting. Like so, There's, when he yeah. was when he was announced, I was like, "Hey, maybe they found a guy who will bring a little bit of that early Spielberg magic." Like I was kind of excited because I had only really seen Ford versus Ferrari and maybe just yeah. seen it and thought, yeah. "There's a lot of storytelling in these action sequences that would be it'd be nice if you had more of that drama." Yeah, I don't know if he wasn't allowed to do it, or I, I think he is. He is bad. It is in line with his badness that I've seen. 
I mean, the Logan action yeah. scenes are just like kill, 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 kill. Nothing very exciting there unless you're excited by kill little girl stabbing guy with claws, which I suppose people were. But there's not there's not much in the way of ingenuity, even at the level of like a, a John Wick yeah. murder fest kind there's, of ingenuity. There's yeah, this is this is semantics, Jake. It's if I were to just go back and watch those race sequences, maybe I could tell you the difference. But there is some kind of like Spielberg is having fun. And Mangold doesn't, Mangold is like, he's, he's pure, like serious mode when it comes to how he's going to do things. There's some, there's there's some kind of ineffable sort of thing with difference between say a race and Ford and a, the truck chase. And for me, it's most clear in probably the best action scene in the movie, but it's still not great, which is the parade ticker tape parade sequence. And it's just like, can you imagine the visual gags that Spielberg would right. come up with, with the inflatable astronauts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would be so fun. It's just, it's in terms of an Indiana Jones set piece, it's such a wasted opportunity. Like, you you could just, yeah. e- even old man Steven Spielberg, who doesn't like to do this kind of stuff anymore, in his sleep, he would come up with 10 fun ideas. Maybe, maybe yeah. they'd be yeah. the Crystal Skull CGI silliness that <laughs> we wouldn't like, but they would still be like, even the worst of Crystal Skull, even when it's total George well, Lucas CGI still fest, like it's a, still like, we're doing a Tarzan yeah. thing now. Yeah, like exactly. That's, that's supposed yeah. to be fun. That's an idea. That's a visual gag. Yeah, that's an idea. Yeah. And there's, if you, I, I went back and I watched the Raiders. I, I was like, what is the difference? I want to put my finger on it. It's amazing how slowly relative those old scenes are edited so that you really can see the setups and payoffs and the geography like uh-huh. oh and it really like you guys are saying it really is about suspense as much as anything it's the yeah. nazis are creeping up the truck they are right. going to get in and we have a there's a whole host of nazis yeah. just sitting in the back of the truck and they're going to take their time coming one by one or two by two and so it's like okay now this guy's had his turn and now it's next up and it, it's all just sort of like I, I think of, so I, I watched this movie, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I watched this movie with my son, Ian, who is the kind of kid who is like, like Spielberg is cracked to him because he lives on the edge of his seat in these movies, right? So if he, you can keep him on the edge of his seat, like it's not hard. But so I think of it through him. It's just like tension, 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 tension. Like that's yep. what's fun. And especially if you're a kid or if you want to feel like a kid. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is what where you know where we're at in these movies is you want to feel like a kid again, and that's the one thing that Spielberg and Lucas both understood uh, on one level. I mean, what they thought was uh-huh. if you think of the prequels, right? Lucas is like, well, these are always kid movies. I'm just going to keep making kids movies. And one of the criticisms that everybody has about him is like, yeah, but we wanted we are adults now and we wanted to feel like kids again, and instead we felt like. You didn't care about us. We don't actually want Jar Jar stepping in, right? Bontha fodder or whatever. Like that's <laughs> fart but, humor. Yeah, we, yeah, we didn't, we didn't, yep. we didn't come for that. Just like I mean, in it, Kingdom of Crystal Skull, we didn't come for CGI gophers or right. s- sword fighting yeah, while straddling sure. two trucks. It's like that's beyond what what we want. Yeah, but, but then you can well, look back after the fact and appreciate the fact that in terms of character, nothing actually changed. You did. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, you. I mean, those guys got old and out of touch in some ways, especially with Crystal Skull. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're retroactively of the same caliber quality as Raiders or anything like that. But it's like, Mm -hmm. but you're saying the same spirit kind of. You feel like old man Spielberg tried to channel his 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 14 year old self and kind of fail in Crystal Skull, but that's still better than Mangold, not even for a moment trying. Mangold has a. 
fun problem. Yeah, he has a fun problem. I just don't think he understands fun. I think he understands serious drama and that's what he wants to do. Even with his car chase, it's all, it's, he's just not gonna, well, he's, he's a, not gonna go for sight gags and, and silly and, and payoffs that are like jokes. Well, it doesn't even feel like it, an understanding problem. It feels like a choice problem. Yeah, like he, he's just like, well, I'm not sure. I'm not going to do, I mean, if you even think about the violent shootout in in the in the bar in Marion's bar, which is which is uh-huh. a very R-rated feeling scene in a PG movie, it's, it's pretty brutal. But there's all this stuff where it's like Indy's going to say whiskey, <laughs> please, and then she's going to hand him a whiskey, and then he's going to bash the guy's head. And yeah, it's, it's a very John Wayne bar fight, right? Actually, in that sense. it's just amped That's up right. to eleven in terms of the the violence, but basically it's gag, it's gag, so gag, gag, gag. Gag, yeah, gag, that's gag. right. Even even the bloody a guy's gonna get shot. It's like you're gonna shoot, and then the bullet's gonna bounce around and zip around, and then the guy's gonna get shot, and blood's gonna come out of his mouth. So it's 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 violent, but there's a wit to the way the story is told, and there's just simple setups and payoffs. I mean, with the tuk tuk chase in particular, which is I guess the closest thing this movie comes to a big, exciting chase scene. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just stuff that's happening there's not a lot of setup there's not a lot of payoff there's just, it's just frantic sort of action there's moments that you kind of are like wish or they almost come close you know she's gonna knock almost. the bale of hay around so that the guy runs into it but it's like spielberg would have literally 40 of those moments or something like that the, the scene would just be yeah. built of those moments yeah yeah i remember I, rem- I still remember one edit from that scene that caught my eye last night and it's like the card because Mingold has all these, he has these fairly intricate shots. They're not interesting, but they are pretty complex. And so it's like the tuk-tuk zips around one corner and then another. And as it zips around a corner out of sight, the camera moves a little to the left and the shot ends on a close-up of a camel. <laughs> and it's like, okay, Mingold, did you think that you were adding color or something here? There are because so this many camel, little things like you that didn't that set feel up anything arbitrary, just completely arbitrary. They it's are like arbitrary. He, has no idea he doesn't understand why Spielberg or Lucas made <laughs> similar choices and why they work for them. That's right. That's right. He doesn't get it. <laughs> yeah, I think he's, he's he is choosing, but I don't think he understands fun. I really don't. I mean, well, he I, doesn't. I've seen, I mean, the movie's not fun. It feels aggressively anti-fun, down to the fact that we're going to rub our nose. Uh, you're going to rub the audience's nose from the beginning in. There is going to be nothing supernatural about anything in this movie whatsoever. This is not supernatural. This is math. This is science. This is anti-supernatural. Like, just even that felt like aggressive. Like, there's so many mm-hmm. choices, both in the story and in the storytelling, that just felt aggressively anti-fun. Aggressively anti-fun, and we, Jake and I were talking about this before off mic, but just mean-spirited like i I couldn't believe we're gonna have our short round kid murder a a guy a nazi albeit yeah that sucks uh, he's gonna handcuff him underground and leave him there to drown yeah when you're when you've already gotten through the hole and you're you've actually gotten away and when this character is set up as the fun antagonist henchman in every indiana jones movie there's a fight with a big guy and Indiana Jones is completely unma- out of his depth. And then the guy gets drawn into a rock crusher or, or a helicopter to death or eaten by ants or something ridiculous. But always we look forward to the fight with the big guy. And it's, it, it just and feels going to be some serendipitous fun death for the big guy. And it just feels aggressively anti-fun to A, not give us that action scene, but then B, have this kind of cruel, cold. Yeah, we're going to give mean. you the big guy. 
we're going to have them in there. We're going to set this all up and then we're going to undercut it. And it's like, and, and just leave it cruel and cold and nasty. And it almost, in that case, it almost feels like they had a scene where the guy escaped and Indiana Jones fought him and they just cut it out or something because it just, it's weird that they don't, we don't see the guy die. I mean, I know the movie's trying to be not too violent, <laughs> but, but also it's like, I think Walter Shaw said this in his review. He's like, they're going to have this really cold death and then they're not going to have the guts to watch the poor sap drown. Like you can't have, your, you're right. really having your cake and eating it too Yeah, here guys. And just the, the amount of civilian deaths and yeah, all of the innocent people that die to set up how bad the Nazis are. Oh yeah. Thanks guys. Yeah, and, yeah. and now I get and, it. White and, supremacists and then, are bad. Okay. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That stuff happens. And then it doesn't, but none of that makes sense plot wise. Like We're the movie does have not kill make you suspend disbelief. Three different women, a white woman, a black woman, and an Asian woman. Yeah. And, just, that, and that's, there's definitely nothing going on there in our storytelling. So, so that right? we can say that Nazis are bad. I mean, even just at the beginning, Indiana Jones saying, to the victor goes the spoils yeah, and kind of really... kicking the guy off the train. It's like, that stinks. Too. I mean, I, I, we can't, we can't be too sentimentalizing about the old Indiana Jones movies. They definitely have a nasty streak and a vicious streak to their violence. I don't want to say that they don't, but you don't usually get Indiana Jones just having a cool kill line and then murdering somebody who's already down. You yeah. Usually it's like yeah. he outwits yeah. the person. The worst thing that he does is like, all right, I can't beat this guy. I'm going to shoot him. I mean, I guess, but that's just played as such a joke. Well, um, I, I still remember Roger Ebert reviewing this. There's a Kurt Russell movie where he has to save his wife, kidnapped wife from a trucker. Mm -hmm. I don't recommend it. I forget what it's called. But anyway, at the end of it, like the truck falls off a bridge or the yeah the the trucker's down like he's he's at the bottom of a little chasm and and the truck is hanging off a bridge and Kurt Russell looks down at him on the rock and he's still alive and then he he pulls he pulls the brake back so that the truck falls and crushes the guys he lies there helplessly and Roger Ebert was like that's not any good like that no one needs that like don't have your hero just just kill the bad guy in cold blood that's not how these movies work. <laughs> I mean, James Bond always felt special because that was his thing. James, that, James Bond well, had a license to thing. kill. And so you'd have the scene where there's literally a scene in a Roger Moore movie where the guy is dangling in a car over a cliff and Roger Moore just kicks it off. Like that's, it's like of this, course, this the whole thing about this guy is that he's cold. Yeah. You can do that with a James Bond. You can do that with a John Wick. You can't and shouldn't do that with Indiana Jones. And so you can, Part of the fun of Indiana Jones is, yeah, okay, like we get to see a bunch of Nazis get the crap murdered out of them, but it never, it's never set up to feel so cold or bad. Like you don't, no, you don't, there's always some plausible deniability in almost all the kills. Like, you know, it's going to be, yeah, it's all self defense. He's outmatched. He's getting the crap kicked out of him. You know, he's going to outwit somebody. He's just going to duck while the propeller takes out the guy you know he's gonna like oh the dude's foot got caught like nothing you can do about that like oh now there's gonna be a supernatural intervention y'all were too stupid to you thought you could mess yeah. with divine things or with uh, and so it's there's always a sense of justice and a sense of fairness that comes through in those scenes that you can you, you can pick it apart on reflection but in the moment if you're a kid or if you're just sort of there along for the ride, it doesn't feel so mean-spirited. Yeah, even the way the guy that gets chopped up in the propeller goes out in Raiders, it's like you literally cut to a swastika getting drenched in blood. And it's just like, okay. 
<laughs> it's so cheeky. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's like, yeah, okay, this this guy was the mechanic that just wanted to have a fist fight, but he was going to punch Indiana Jones to death. He was already halfway through doing it and Marion was trapped in the thing. It's like we're 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 intentionally setting up all the circumstances such that the one solution is the solution that we get. I guess with like a James Bond, when James Bond coldly kills somebody, that's a point that the story is making. And I don't mind that. You can write a story or make a story about a cold killer. But it's the fact that this movie wants to have those same things happen and just assert that that's how normal, non-cold people behave. It's like if you were making a story point over the fact that Teddy, our fake short round, handcuffed this guy and let him die... I guess you could tell that story. I don't know why you'd want to, but the fact that it's just well, sort you know of what it is. It's not thrown a, away. You know what it's not. It's not a kids' movie at that point. It's not fun kids t- storytelling. Like no. kids feel that tension that they still have something of a sensitive conscience, and it just it's just it's yeah. it's aggressive towards the kids. It's aggressive towards the audience. It's aggressive towards everybody. It's just mean spirited. That's true. I'm Nathan. That's Jake. Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> that's Ben. <laughs> oh, hello. We are talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny short version. A terrible movie. So bad. It's yeah. so bad. Uh, ben, I think you did prepare some context about archaeology. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I sure did. Hey, guys, I, I just, I want to, I don't want to burst. You may think you know what you're dealing with, but believe me, you don't. Don't step on the audio. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry about that. I was like, what's happening? There's a bunch of static in my my ear. I'm calling in folks, so it's hard for me to tell what's going on. Anyway, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but I have to tell you that Indiana Jones is not exactly realistic as an archaeologist. So what? sorry about that. You've been hanging on to that. Here, I'm just going to read you a couple things that I found about real archaeology. Here's what William Parkinson says. He's a, You know him, William, old William Parkinson. Old Your buddy, he's William a professor. Parkinson? At the U of Chicago. So here's, here's what he says. We have a rule of thumb for every hour of in-field excavation. You spend at least three or four hours in the lab documenting and analyzing, trying to put it together as a narrative. Because what I tell my intro to archaeology classes, if you spend 20 years meticulously excavating an archaeological site and you never publish your findings, and you've just spent 20 years looting. There's no point. If you're not publishing, you're not any better than the Tomb Raider. So that's what he says. Speaking of which, Lucas's original vision of Indiana Jones was closer to a Tomb Raider or a bounty hunter. Just someone who wanted to be paid by museums for stealing valuable artifacts and bringing them to said museums. Although I know that Temple of Doom, which I've never seen, doesn't he return those magic stones to the village they go to? Yeah, Temple of Doom makes a kind of half-hearted prequel attempt to... Okay. Tell the story of Fortune and Glory Indy turning into Noble Indy. But then they okay. sort of retcon that in Last Crusade, where we find out that right. young Indy Artie was like many things. I don't right. think they actually had a cohesive idea of what this character, these movies were going to be. What is clear is that George uh-huh. Lucas always favored, for better or worse, always favored things being darker and more morally compromised. He certainly is responsible for Marion being whatever age she was when they first got together and all those kinds of cheeky sort of, this guy's not actually a hero stuff or very George Lucas of the time. George Lucas, maybe not so much anymore. I think he got a little cuddlier after he got his nasty Mm -hmm. divorce out of the way during the making of Temple of Doom. But (laughs) 
Anyway, yeah. be that as it may. Uh, so, so I think yeah. George Lucas okay. always probably would have been more in favor of the Tomb Raider kind of different woman every movie, kind of a little bit more James Bond. But anyway. Okay. Okay. Well, I did find this tongue-in-cheek article that, that argued, I mean, only kind of argued, that Indiana Jones represents the last of the old-school archaeologists who were just treasure hunters. By that metric, man, he did a good job. He even got one out of six artifacts back to a museum. Amazing, which was the Cross of Coronado in the Last Crusade. Right. But pe- people do, in, archaeologists do appreciate that the Indiana Jones movies make people want to be archaeologists. And uh, Parkinson said, quote, vast amount of my job is spent in front of my computer writing boring grant applications so people will give me money so I can meticulously dig archaeological sites. What I love about Indiana Jones is despite all the historical inaccuracies and the mystical part of it, makes people excited about the discipline. And if that gets a couple more kids in my intro to archaeology class, and then I can rope them into the science part, all the better. John Rice Davies claimed that he's a, that's Sala. Yeah, or... Gimli. I, I have a... a Gimli, yeah, yeah. I, I, I suppressed a mean joke about his appearance in this movie. Oh, man, is he shriveled. Oh, boy. So John Rice Davies claimed that he, he says, quote, I must have met at least 150 or 160 full professors, lecturers, practicing archaeologists who have come up to me to say their first interest in archaeology began when they saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's not a bad legacy for any film, unquote. Today, most archaeologists I found work in a field I never heard of because I don't know anything about archaeology. This is cultural resource management. Have you guys heard of CRM? CRM? The exciting discipline of CRM. I feel like I guess know what it's about. That stands for CRM, but yeah, go ahead. You, you do. It's like contact resource management database. Yeah. Term. So it, you make sure that historically significant sites remain protected under law. And this is like a United States thing. So it may be that there's a dig or there's a shipwreck or a Native American site, and then a private CRM company is hired to protect the artifacts. And if you were part of one of these companies, you might be doing a dig, like we think of archaeology via Indiana Jones. You might also be at a museum, like how do I preserve this stuff? You might be a compliance officer. What are the regulations? You might be in a lab. And there's a culture, I th- I'm assuming that this is fairly universal across countries, but what you do now is you don't say that belongs in a museum. You say that belongs to the native culture. So <laughs> we probably shouldn't take it and put it in a museum. Yeah, Phoebe so that's, Waller-Bridge that's, charmingly points out that discrepancy in, right. in this film. That's right. <laughs> that was very charming. So, last thing I have is that, in this will shock you guys, Indiana Jones is not historically accurate when it comes to tombs with spears that are light-sensitive and come out and hit you. Huh. Yeah, most tombs, it's only those compression stones that you step on, and then the spear comes out and hits you. Most people oh, think that, yeah. you see? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that, that's, none of that has ever happened. No booby traps, but I did, I did read about the mausoleum of the first Quin emperor in China. And this is a massive tomb. This is awesome, actually. Built in the 3rd century BC. It's full of full-sized buildings, like a palace for the dead emperor. And most people are familiar with this, this guy because of those famous the life-size terracotta, terracotta soldiers. Right. Right. I think Brendan right. Fraser so fought, fought those and did you, one, did of those, he? one of those mummy movies. <laughs> he probably did. There's, there's about 7,000 of them, full-size soldiers and horses. 
they've been on traveling displays for years. I saw them as a kid in an exhibit. I remember my grandparents taking me. They're cool. What I what I didn't remember is that every face is unique. <laughs> like every soldier is a distinct. Well, that's because uh, what you didn't realize is that Medusa is real, and she turned those armies into stone, and now we have a, a retcon story to hide the fact that Medusa was a real thing, man. I think that's true. This is, I, I learned a lot on this podcast. I just now, learned now something you, just now. Now you know. I can't trust Jake. <laughs> um. You didn't already know that? Penny <laughs> <laughs> been I'm on this show a long learner. time. I'm a, I'm a very slow learner. So, and these were, if you, if, you, if you know anything about these guys, you know that they were supposed to guard the emperor in the afterlife, the buried dead emperor. And so the site where they were found has not been fully excavated, even though we began to discover terracotta soldiers in 1974. The soldiers come from a giant necropolis around the tomb, right? A literal like city full of buildings. The tomb itself, where the emperor is, the tomb itself has, so the necropolis has all these other buildings. It's crazy. But the tomb itself has an underground palace in more full-size buildings. And that's still underground. And there's all this d- debate about how to excavate it or whether or not we should, because that would just damage everything irretrievably. But here is, this is, this is a long quote I want to read. This is super cool. This is from the royal historian Sima Qian. Qian, I can't pronounce his name. He claimed, he made some claims in his, his first century BC book, Records of the Grand Historian. So this, this is what he claimed about the tomb. All right, here we go. In the ninth month, the first emperor was interred at Mount Lee. Digging and preparation work at Mount Lee began when the first emperor first came to the throne. Later, after he had unified his empire, 700,000 men were sent there from all over his empire. They dug through three layers of groundwater and poured in bronze for the outer coffin. Palaces and scenic towers for a hundred officials were constructed, and the tomb was filled with rare artifacts and wonderful treasure. Craftsmen were ordered to make crossbows and arrows primed to shoot at anyone who enters the tomb. Mercury was used to simulate the hundred rivers, the Yangtze, Yellow River, and the Great Sea, and set to flow mechanically. Above were representations of the heavenly constellations, below the features of the land. Candles were made from fat of manfish which is calculated to burn and not extinguish for a long time. The second emperor said, it would be inappropriate for the concubines of the late emperor who have no sons to be out free, ordered that they should accompany the dead, and a great many died. After the burial, it was suggested that it would be a serious breach if the craftsmen who constructed the mechanical devices and knew of its treasures were to divulge those secrets. Therefore, after the funeral ceremonies had completed and the treasures were hidden away, the inner passageway was blocked and the outer gate lowered, immediately trapping all the workers and craftsmen inside. None could escape. Trees and vegetations were then planted on the tomb mound such that it resembles a hill, unquote. So talk about some straight Indiana Jones. I mean, just I'm just waiting for the report of a treasure hunter wandering too far inside and taking an arrow from a booby trap. But that is craziness. So, as far as we know, that's true. <laughs> but maybe we'll never dig in there and find out. Well, by the way, I do, I, I do want to say... I think it's a story that they're telling in order to hide the fact that Medusa still lives there <laughs> with, yeah, uh, yeah. with the Nephilim who survived the flood. And this is an ancient part of the ancient underground. It's probably the gateway to the reptilian society, is what I think. Huh. 
You know, and, and yeah, the, I think that's a the, really the, interesting idea. Those Jake. stories exist in order to keep people from going there, and 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 that's where also the one of the places where the UFOs, the UAPs, launch from the ancient technology. It's uh, all coming together for me now. Yeah, pre-flood ancient technology. Literally all of yeah. it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> all of it is. Really- just want you to understand. In 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 those tunnels, they go straight to Antarctica. So, America. of course, yeah, of course, which is why it's a no fly zone. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll see you in Antarctica. Um, uh, I do want to say, I do want to say, I have read enough about the rape of the Nile, the way that Egypt was treated in the late 19th century and early 20th century, to know mm-hmm. that all these stipulations that Ben's talking about and the compliance stuff, maybe our audience is tempted to just think, oh, liberals, they never let us do anything fun. But I mean, we there have been great treasures and great historical artifacts that would be really nice to have, but instead they've been plundered by treasure seekers. Mm-hmm. And the story of Egypt in particular is a story of us just losing people going crazy for Egypt lore and then <laughs> very not worthwhile people taking advantage of that, plundering graves, making their own new mummies, old stuff, new stuff getting mixed up, really cool sites just being desecrated. And so I do think that there should be some regulation. regulation. The government <laughs> yeah. does need to step in to protect, yeah. protect history. I'm all for some of it still living in the British Museum and not being too like, oh, we have to not being too woke about the whole thing. But sure, I do think, the, you know, there is a, in the interest of real science and real history, a little bit of yeah. regulation and preservation. Yeah, and insofar as these movies set up a conflict between Indiana Jones saying the cross of Coronado belongs where we can study it and this bad guy just wants it for whatever reason, I do think we can side with Indiana Jones. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's got, yeah, he's got a sense. point that philosophically I would, I would align with anyway. I mean, it's all silly. And one thing that Ben points out is the, one of the silliest things about these movies is just the expense account that Indiana Jones is. Like the fact that Marcus's museum, I guess, is able to just pay for these adventures yeah. like it's like as if indiana jones wouldn't have to spend his life writing grants mm-hmm. i mean i guess brody writes his right. grants or something but it's very silly right yeah i can tell you a little bit about the dial of destiny it is a real artifact that was found in a roman warship the wreckage of an ancient greek trading vessel in the early 1900s and it is kind of it's very much more dilapidated than what we see but it is this gearish mechanism that they say it, it does not travel through time or or find time fissures if you can imagine that but it <laughs> it does a lot of people will still call it the world's first computer its gears could predict eclipses track the movement of the sun and the moon stuff like that and there's some idea Pretty awesome. there's it, people like to speculate at least that archimedes did it simply because it exists in the right location for that that histor- that battle that we see. Spoiler, spoilers from here on out. The end of the movie, we see a battle. That battle is a real historical battle. Archimedes, a lot of lore about Archimedes using his mirrors and stuff like that to fend off the mm-hmm. legions. That's where this device went down, and so it is actually a fun thing with a lot of lore. The movie doesn't do much justice to it, yeah, but. It, it, yeah, it's, it's I've, not re- a, I've read about it. It's Actually, not a half bad artifact for an Indiana Jones movie, as as these things go. Yeah, it's an artifact that no, I actually no. knew about beforehand. I remember reading about the find on the ship, and 
stuff like that and going down that rabbit hole a little bit. Yeah, it's cool. everything about Archimedes really is cool. Like, yeah, it is. That guy was amazing. Yeah, I think I've been a, slightly fascinated with Archimedes ever since I watched The Sword in the Stone as a kid. And I was just thinking is, the same thing. His owl Archimedes. Yeah, like the name sticks because of the stupid Disney show or did to me. And so, well, and these ancient, yeah, and all the stories around him are just really cool. Like, yeah. Like they are, what yeah. did he really do? Like, and why is it such a mystery? Giant like, claw to destroy yeah. ships and focusing the sun to burn. I mean, and, and these these ancient scientist guys were all spiritualists too. So there is the lore of black magic that surrounds them. Alchemists from the Middle Ages are another example of that. Like they they have they, they kind of feel like Merlin or something because there's not this strict dividing line between the, the scientific never, physical world over there and then the spiritual world over here. And so they're, they're trying to work with both yeah. most of the time. And so it is interesting to speculate just what they found in their studies. Yeah. But this movie doesn't want to speculate about that. This is all cold math and science. Yes. Well, that brings us to, I guess, our. Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. New fantastic point of view. Good is a point of view, Anakin. <laughs> Good is a point of view, Anakin. That, <laughs> that brings us to our point of view on this movie. I don't think we need to do baggage. We all love Indiana Jones. Obviously, yeah. we're born on this planet Earth, traveling around the sun together. So we Where love, are we? I think we are. And so we love Indiana Jones. But... But uh, the, the reason I'm making these dumb jokes is because this is the kind of fun thing you actually want and have the freedom to play with in an Indiana Jones Yeah, if you're allowed movie. to do a supernatural instead of just being atheists and doing the whole Marvel science. It's a, the, all the lore, all the mythology, all of the everything is your sandbox. And so you can... He already did. Like, say what you want about Crystal Skull. It's a bad movie. We all think it's a bad movie. Nobody's trying to apologize too much, although... We may have a little bit of retrospective on it in light of this, but whatever. Like, he was doing the interdimensional aliens thing 20 years ago or whatever that was. And, like, that's the kind of thing that's in the zeitgeist now. And so it's like, you can play with that. You can play with the idea that maybe the terracotta are, like, I mean, I know that the mummy movies and National Treasure and Tomb Raider stuff have taken that stuff too far, but... It is part of what's fun about these movies. You have a, a skeptic sure. and... Now, people always say it's dumb that Indiana Jones has seen all this stuff, but he doesn't believe it when the new movie... I love the fact that Indiana Jones resets every time yeah. into a skeptic and then has to... I mean, I don't like it in a movie like this where they write dumb dialogue about, I've seen things and I've learned that you have to believe and blah, blah. Oh, but blah, blah, blah. It, matters how hard you believe yeah that's that's just that's dumb that's just not that doesn't even Jones. doesn't even mean anything but i do like just this guy always resets into basically a jewish jewish secularist which is all that his creators were and then he gets his mind blown by the supernatural every time every time and has the humility to know it when he sees it and respect it when he sees it which is cool it's a, it's a nice conceit for a hero but you would have to believe in a hero in order to make a movie that respected that. Well, yeah. it's it's a commentary on, in that sense, on the modern Jew, on on Spielberg himself. That sense of, or or the modern atheist, or maybe the not so modern. I mean, maybe it doesn't work anymore, and that's the reason why we abandon it. But but that 
I don't believe in God and I hate him mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. of it all, that inner sense yep. that everybody actually does have, that God is God, God is real, supernatural things happen, and we're mm-hmm. actually just suppressing it. We all know that we're suppressing it, and so we're going to cathartically let the lid off the box for half a second and let the angel of death come and let us know that we're all suppressing it, and then we're going to put the lid right back on that box. Like That's part of the genius of the whole Indiana Jones conceit. Right, and then he's a skeptic. He's not a believer, but he is, if you want to call him it, he's a God-fearer. He's, he's, he's like a God-fearing pagan. He's the kind of guy that, when push comes to shove, shove closes his eyes and That's does, right. doesn't Deep look down, on the glory. Deep down, he knows. Uh, which, mm-hmm. which is a cool, resonant conceit for a character. Much like the conceit for the character they had this time as an old, bitter, unhappy man. Alcoholic. <laughs> That's a fun conceit for a character. Got to be sure we see well, him he, put you know, his Nathan, brandy or whiskey in his coffee in the morning yep. and get started. And he, he, he just needed something to believe in. He needed something to live for. And he found it. Isn't that sweet? He what didn't a find good jack squat, man. Arc. He had it forced what on him. What a good arc. What did he find <laughs> again? Hey, you know what? You know what? We, we, we all need women who are going to be helpful to us, Jake. <laughs> just like having the kind of Young woman who's gonna old white punch you are, out in the face and drag you away and say, "You stupid old white man, I know what's best for you." Yeah, and I, and I really appreciate that. That gives You're, me a sense of comfort. You, as a stupid old white man, are incapable of having any self knowledge or character growth or revelation. You just need a pretty brunette to tell you how your story should or be or a, a brunette like. You. Give you <laughs> hey, she's Ben. I really mean. How, I really mean. How I'm dare sorry. you? She is attractive. She says so herself <laughs> in the movie. It, look, I don't. I don't. I. She's not attractive playing this character. I don't think I would. I, anyway, that feels really mean. Mean and low to say. I kind of regret it. <laughs> well, you know what the interesting thing oh, is? She's at, I mean, I'm sorry, but she's at her most attractive when she's pretending to be a wide-eyed, innocent character at the very beginning. And yeah. you, you know, because you've seen yeah, the trailers, that that's not actually what she is. But it's like, oh, I could just watch a movie about this character. It gives Indiana Jones something to bounce off of, kind of the sweet, bumbling character that's excited to pick up her dad's legacy. Like, that'd be fun. Actually, it's, it's, Indiana it's, Jones, I'm all... <laughs> It's really like it's really unsettling how all these characters are just like you know swap Daisy Ridley and her as Ray and as this character and it's just like one to one you in how it's played how it's written it's amazing yeah. even little girl Leia in the Obi Wan show it's just like I mean I I hate this kind of mind reading criticism where everybody makes these assumptions I, I don't usually like it but it's really hard not to look at this and just say, okay, Kathleen Kennedy, you really love stories about pretty brunettes that know better than decrepit old white guys that they have to work with and for. Yeah. You've taken this company from your mentors, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. You found a little bit of space, you made your money, you were biding your time, and now you're putting the old man to bed, right? You were the true rebel who was there all along and... Was smart, resourceful, whatever her dumb little speech yeah, is. Yeah, and 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 now you took the story by the by the reins, and you gave them all the happy ending. They were too stupid to give themselves, and you put them all to bed. And it's just like, man, the arrogance and the aggression is so off-putting and so disgusting. 
Yeah. I mean, one test I have for female characters is, would I like this character if she were a man? And it's like, Helena Shaw sucks. I mean, she's a she's an unpleasant person to be around no matter what sex she is. Like, she's just, she's smug. She's self-assured. She's arrogant. She's callow and selfish. Like, there's nothing to like about this character. And that could be part of an arc where she gets redeemed. But nobody has an arc in this movie. She decides, like, we don't have, for reasons, inexplicable reasons, she simply decides that she's going to do what's best for Indiana Jones. Like, what she's decided is best for Indiana Jones. She comes to feel, be morally sympathetic to him. She comes to feel sorry for him over the course of the picture. And that's her redemption, actually. But it's weird that Because before that, she's just, she's just a, a bitter reminder of his moral failures. That's all that she exists to do. Well, why am I this way? Maybe you should have been there for me. That, yeah, that's all that she is. Yeah, goddaughter. Yeah. My dad was insane. Maybe you should have. Cared? Yeah. But you didn't. You're a terrible person. Okay. Yes, he is. He's a terrible person. You win. And so are you. <laughs> I, I saw somebody on the he internet just... point out the fact that Indiana Jones has gone in the course of three movies from having to connect with his father, his son, and now his goddaughter. Like they're they're really scraping the bottom of the yeah. deep resonant relationship barrel in order to Man. find something more like... failures for him to have to own and suffer for well not just the idea that we we in the audience we, we've all got fathers many of us have been sons or have sons but we're all like yeah i really didn't connect with my goddaughter <laughs> i should have done better i feel I, bad about that <laughs> right i would do anything for my goddaughter it's just like it's not a relationship that we could really all enter into i mean well, yeah relationship with the daughter of a character that we didn't know existed prior to this movie. If this was, I mean, you could have done something with Marcus Brody. If they weren't so committed to the lame CGI opening action scene, it would have been very easy to make this Marcus's daughter. Right. Which would have made much more sense and had much more emotional resonance. Emotional we resonance. all love Marcus Brody. Right. And mm-hmm. yeah, you could have retconned a Marcus Brody daughter story. Not that that's anywhere near the kind of story that you should have told if you're doing a fifth installment of Indiana Jones. But if you wanted to, you could have done that and gotten a lot more traction out of it. Or have her be Sola's daughter and yeah. you know, give her a, you can bring in an, like a, an, an Arabic chick and get, get some points that way. Or Yeah, that would have been more fun. Yeah, I mean, goodness. Have it be connected to Short Round, actually, somehow. Like, yeah, they missed such a bet because that guy... He, he cleaned won. house just recently. Yeah, it would he, have been such a good, such a smart play if you're just being executive studio smart to go back to the short round well, which is actually what my son said they should have done when he walked out of the movie. But Short round is actually the one emotional thread that never got closed by Spielberg. Like Indiana Jones gets his happy ending. He's married. He has a son. You don't have to think that that's a great ending, but it's closure. Short rounds like the one kind of irresponsible dangling thread from young callow mm-hmm. Indiana Jones's life. If you if you're just being sentimental and trying to close all these loops for people like Ian, for kids yeah, who actually exactly. invest in this stuff, short rounds the thread to close. Yeah, I mean, I, at some point, I just want to give Ian's take on all this because I think it's really interesting. The eleven, my eleven-year-old's perspective. But oh, go ahead. I, I don't know how much more we're even going to have to say about this turkey. So we come out of that movie. Like, so I take Ian. I take Ian because 
Ian's most of my kids are are gonna go to a movie and they're just gonna eat their popcorn and enjoy the movie. Ian's already got an idea of what he wants the movie to be or what he expects the movie to be. And he's going to come out of the movie thinking about the movie that he wishes they would have made or the movie that he would have made or, or that sort of thing. Like he's the kind of kid who's going to like, he listened to this, he goes down like soundtrack rabbit holes. So he got really into the pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack. And so he like wrote the whole pirates of the Caribbean movie based on how he imagined the soundtrack playing out. And then we, we watched the movie and he was so disappointed because the the music's heroic. And so he had this whole heroic pirate story in his mind, and then he got Jack Sparrow. I was like, what in the world? Mm-hmm. Like he'd written his own Pirates movie based on the music, on the score. And so I thought it would be fun. He loves, loves Indiana Jones. He'd probably say that Raiders is his favorite movie. He is the kid that just like, edge of his seat, like Spielberg is his speed. Like old school Spielberg is exactly, Ian's there for the roller coaster. He's gonna like, and I mean, literally on the edge of his seat or up dancing, bouncing around. Like he loves the <laughs> tension and he can't stand the tension. And that's why he thinks so much about it. Sort of like how Spielberg tells himself or casts himself in Fablemans is so intensely affected by that train wreck that he's got to go and recreate it and think it through it and tell his own story so that he can get some kind of control over the, like Ian's kind of like that. And so I thought oh, it'd be fun to go see this movie with Ian and hear his take on it. So I saw it. We came out of the movie and he was just really crestfallen and disappointed in the movie. It's like, I was really there for it. The young Indiana Jones stuff he was there for. And he was like, well, actually, the first thing he said is he didn't die. They should have just killed him. And I was like, <laughs> why do you say that? And he's just like, everything about, he, no, he said, he said nothing about the movie once you got to old Indiana Jones mattered. Like nothing mattered. It was just boring. And so you have to make it matter. And then he said, I wish they would have just made the Indiana jo- the young Indiana Jones movie. And we we just sort of like talked about it. Like we went to the store and we kept talking. I kept teasing out of him, like, okay, what what do you wish they would have done? Like why? And so he got to a place where he's like, What I wish they would have done is just told a, a, a brand new young Indiana Jones adventure, have it be CGI, have it be de-aged, have it be with short round. Let's get the other, a new short round adventure and let's have it be old Indiana Jones telling the story to his grandkids. And so he's a grandpa now. And, and so I was like asking him about that. Like, okay, is it like a reveal at the end that he was telling the story all along or is it? No, he's like, no, from the beginning, it's him telling it to his grandkids. Like, Marion's there and the grandkids are there and maybe the grandkids interrupt the story along the way. It's not a reveal, but maybe, maybe when the grandkids interrupt the story or challenge it, like the story changes. And then you're able to just sort of like question everything about the Indiana Jones stories. But then it's all fun again. And then you can keep doing that and you can tell more Indiana Jones stories. But I want to see, I just wanted to see, oh, the other thing that he said was just like, I just wanted to feel like I was watching Raiders again. Actually, he didn't say Raiders. He, he said Lost Ark. But mm-hmm. I just wanted to feel like I was watching Lost Ark again for the first time. And I don't know why they just made such a boring movie that didn't matter. Which maybe there's some mm-hmm. pedantic nerds listening right now who are like, you just wanted to feel like you were watching one of the 10 greatest movies of all time again, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. But 
But if you can't recapture some of that flavor for how old is he in? He's 11. A, an 11-year-old. He'll, he'll be 12 in a month. Like he would have been okay probably. Or in a couple weeks, actually. No, a month. I'm guessing if this had had some level of joy and some level of competency, he might not have walked out saying, I, I saw a new Raiders, but he he could have been excited about a new Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, he could have. He could have. I mean, he's not like he's not a snob. He's just he just thinks and he cares. Like how does he like Crystal Skull? He likes it a lot better than this one. Yeah. And he's not a he's not a snob about that one. He doesn't think it's as good. But if this had been Crystal Skull, he probably he would have been would much have happier. Been yeah. much happier. A movie yeah. that mm-hmm. seems to like its characters and yeah, he asked me, like he asked me my opinion, like he was like, "Crystal Skull's better than that, isn't it? Don't you think Crystal Skull's better than that, Dad?" It's like I don't know what I, I I didn't answer it. I was just like, I don't know what I think about Crystal Skull in light of this movie yet, buddy. It's too soon for me to to say. But he had an opinion, like he was thinking those thoughts too. I, and I think he's right. Mm-hmm. You know? I think Crystal Skull yep. is just a better movie than this one. And I, I hate, I think it's stupid. Like I saw before the movie, before I saw the movie, I saw people prequeling Crystal Skull retroactively in light of this movie, trying to make Crystal Skull a good, a good movie. And I hate that, but it's inevitable to have to go back and, and do that sort of thing and rethink something like Crystal Skull in light of a movie like this. I wish we could just sort of, there is a trilogy and that's it. And there are some other things that we're done, but you, you can't. They're all in conversation with each other. And there are virtues to Crystal Skull that are in fact put into real relief by this trash movie. And so... I mean, yep. even some of the uh, scenes that stupid. don't work. I, I watched the the fist fight with the ant while the ants are swarming around them. And it's like, okay, it's not a good scene. The ants look stupid. It, it's it's, But man, Spielberg on a bad day, and Crystal Skull is Spielberg on a bad day, but he still knows how to shoot action. He still knows how to shoot suspense. He still knows how to give you stakes and give you character through action. And he still well, knows how to have fun. And you just think, okay, part of the... Part of the problem of Crystal Skull is actually that it just was during a transitional time where the CGI wasn't there, but everybody was transitioning and wanted to be on the cutting edge of CGI. And so Spielberg and Lucas went that route and it made a movie that didn't feel like as much like Indiana Jones as anybody wanted because it was so silly CGI toying mm-hmm. with some stuff like swinging through the trees and the ants. Like, man, if we had gotten to the other side of that, or if they'd, everybody at the time was just like, just do the practical effects stuff, dude. Like, but. Yeah. I mean, if Crystal Skull just had the better photography, didn't have Yanis Kaminsky doing the Oscar photography, that mm-hmm. would be, that would be something. Okay. Well, Ben, we won't interrupt your vacation <laughs> yeah. for much longer. Do you, do you have any other thoughts before we I, let you I have go? A, yeah, just a couple. Just a couple. One is. Mangold is a pretty technically precise director, and it's one of his strengths when it's in a good movie. But what I, I was just thinking how you could pull almost any frame of this movie. Well, okay, maybe that's too far. You could pull a lot of frames of this movie and be like, oh, Indiana Jones, like that looks more like Raiders or Temple of Doom or something. But then you pull any scene of this movie and you're like, man, this is a boring attempt to copy <laughs> Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. So. On a frame-by-frame basis, it often works. Like, he's just going to capture the colors or whatever. 
you know, leaving out the failures of effects sometimes. No, this movie going to capture the feeling like in a Indiana Jones movie than Crystal Skull does, and that is to its yeah. strength. And Crystal Skull would be vastly improved by just looking when you pause it, yeah. like like this movie. That's what I was saying about the Janos Kaminsky photography. The fact that That's Spielberg right. used his mm-hmm. Oscar guy, like the guy that he wins Oscars with, is what I mean by that. To do this kind of soft focus photography, it just it really does. I think for me, and I don't think this is just because I'm technically my, you know, I know how movies work and pay attention to these things. I think on a subconscious level, this, a lot of people were probably affected this way. It just, Crystal Skull does not look like an Indiana Jones movie and that really hurts nope. it. Can I just say something? Can I throw a, like a, a grenade on the table? Sure. I would have much rather have seen the Ryan Johnson, Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, that's probably true. Ryan Johnson not very good with action but neither no but but nobody is like so the reason i said that is like in terms of feel and vibe we all know the last jedi is the most star wars feeling star wars movie of all time Mm -hmm. but you could he could just have had some actual fun with a character like indiana jones and maybe have enough out of his system to show a little bit of love Mm -hmm. I mean, he would have at least I, had something. Yeah, I, I could see it. He would have created a character called Helena Shaw, and she would have done things and had an arc, and maybe we mm-hmm. would have really hated it. Hated like it her. Would, it would have been even more pointed. Mm-hmm. But it would have like, been interesting. Yeah, it would have been a guy with something to say instead of just like a, right. I, I hate this phrase, but instead of just a Mary it, Sue with nothing, she's not even a character. It would have been a movie, yeah. it would have been a movie worth hating. Like The Last Jedi, for all of it, is, is terrible, but it's a movie worth hating. This movie, I came out of the theater just like, this movie's a zero. Like it's just a waste of things life. Happen. Is, it even, is it even worth I mean, talk hating? About, talk about ritual decoupled from meaning. Like things just happen for no reason. There are setups that never get paid off. There are things that happen that are never set up. Oh yeah. Can we yeah. talk about that? The the craziness of you have three minutes underwater and then you imagine what Spielberg the scene he would do with that. The complications, the thing, the thing getting caught, the eels, everything converging in this, and then the bad guys show up. Like, and you would have a timer, like you'd have a wristwatch, you'd have something that you would flash to that you would just be like, you're in the tension. There's a dramatic countdown that is happening now, and you'd feel it. The idea of introducing Antonio Banderas only (laughs) to fridge him. Uh, The idea Uh, of fridge being a term for when you kill someone. It's a nerd term for when you kill someone to up the stakes taken from a comic book where a guy's girlfriend ends up in a fridge but it's so i'm not referring to nuke the fridge i'm referring to the the nerd term fridge but yeah there's like all these things that are set up voller and his henchmen set up as these individualized villains only for them to have boring deaths i mean it's just like thing after not a single interesting villain death in this whole thing but a lot of cruel mean-spirited ones but nothing interesting it's like man this is like anti-indiana jones in every way We've got this really big, cool artifact thing, except we're not going to delve into any lore about it. We're going to undercut the lore. And there's going to be, it's going to be supernatural without being supernatural. We're going to call it science. We're going to have all these little things that like, we're going to, like you said, we're going to cut to the camel as if that's telling Mm -hmm. some kind of story. Or we're going to have Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, like we're going through the tunnel and her flashlight keeps going out and we're going to keep drawing attention to it. But oh, yep, we're not doing anything with that. Like... Nope. It's just like all these little details that are like, what is the point? Like, what are you doing? Do you think that Spielberg was ever arbitrary with these details? Like, is that what we're trying? Like, well, and then the fact that the, this yep. movie does not set up its central conflict, you know, its emotional conflict at the end, the whole idea that Indy wants to live in the past, that's not really set up. I mean, I was talking to Jake beforehand, like, 
so easy to write a movie. Here, here's the joyful, fun way that actually I think Spielberg probably would do it. I mean, far be it from me to just play screenwriter, but the idea that Indiana Jones starts this movie happy. He's married to Marion. He's got his grandkids and he's bored and he longs for the old days and he wishes that he wasn't an 80 year old that's at death's door. And like, that's how you start set up the movie that then has the payoff Mm -hmm. of this dude who wants to live in the past. I mean, that's maybe even a boring setup because it's so obvious. It's like what we've seen that story a million times, but it doesn't matter. Give us a setup that makes emotional sense of the story. You're going to pretend like you told when the movie's over. Right. And set up Helena Shaw to be someone and then pay that off instead of just having her arbitrarily be what the story requires. Anyways, Ben, you were saying mangled technical filmmaker. Oh, I was done. That was all yeah. that was all about how he made the film look like Raiders frame by frame, but didn't capture any of Raiders. Yeah. None of the music of Yeah. No, no, no. Those, no. those lyrics doesn't know the music. That's right. Yeah. I think the only I think the only other thing I said is that I that I that I thought as I was watching the movie was how just how bitter they pushed Indy into being. And it was actually one of the last things that he says is after she Helena Shaw punches him out and brings him back from the time of Archimedes. <laughs> and he's like, You should have let, left me there. She's and she says, No, nah, you could have you could have altered the course of history. And he's like, What's so bad about that? I, I usually don't mind time travel. I'm on record on this podcast. Nathan's a time travel curmudgeon and stuff like that. I, I, I'm a pretty loosey goosey. But one thing I can't stand is when I can't stand that remark because that's so bitter. That's like saying if everyone I've ever known in my life and all the history I've ever known, all those people ceased to exist and I annihilated them because I stayed back in time. What would be so bad about that? It's like worse than the suicide. Mm. We know what Chesterton says. The suicide murders the world. Well, there is there is this idea in Indy's bitterness that if I just wiped you out, Helena Shaw, and me, and everything we knew for 2,000 years or whatever, so what? It's like, dude, that is such a bitter thing to say. Like, that is so nasty. And I just, not that the movie cares. It doesn't really have any more weight. But what a... So maybe this is neither here nor there. It's just that I've I've seen that in a in a book before. <clears throat> there was a where the plot was, yeah, actually, in order to redeem history, we should go back in time and we should erase everything. We should erase everyone we know for two thousand years. Because that would redeem. And so this this all just struck me the same way, like you guys, that is that's super bitter. You don't even know the moral drama that you're playing with when he says that. You don't care, but man, what a meme. So I know just one line, throwaway line. Well, no, they I think it's, it. it's, it's kind of like what we were it. saying about the villain deaths. It's like you can make a story point, an intentional story point out of I coldly dispatched a villain because that's where I'm at in my journey. James yeah. Bond does that all the time. We don't mind. But when it's when you aren't making that point, when you're just kind of accepting, oh, yeah, we coldly dispatch villains. That's when it begins to get bothersome. And it's the same thing with the line that you mentioned, Ben. You can make an intentional point that Indiana Jones is the most bitter, depressed, angry, wants to destroy the world man. But when you thoughtlessly throw it in there because you're bitter and you're woke and you hate civilization and you just are like, oh, yeah, that's what the guy would say. That yeah. it, it just has a real mean-spirited feeling. And I don't mind Indiana Jones starting in a bad place and working his way to some redemption 
sort of. I mean, I think it's tricky with sequels. You have, I think there's two kinds of bad sequels. There's the sequel that just does the same thing, that just rehashes stuff. There's the Men in Black 2, Ghostbusters 2 sequel that doesn't mm-hmm. add anything or challenge the characters or take the story in any direction. That's obviously lame and nobody actually likes it. Then there are the sequels like The Last Jedi that so disrupt what we expect that we just don't even feel like we get our money's worth. Like you didn't uphold your end of the contract mm-hmm. or filmmaker. Like I, I paid to see Luke Skywalker bust up and be awesome. And you needed to give that to me. Maybe you can make me wait for it. You can challenge me in the way that you get there. In fact, I want you to, but you better deliver that because I paid 10 bucks for it. And the best sequels yeah. obviously are ones like the empire strikes back or like Indiana Jones and the last crusade where we're taking, we're challenging the characters. We're bringing them in a new direction. We're, we're changing things up, but we're also giving the audience what they can reasonably expect when they buy a ticket. And I think mm-hmm. when you buy a ticket to an Indiana Jones movie, what you can reasonably expect is good action for, for one thing, but from the character of Indiana Jones, what you can expect is in a word tenacity. I mean, Indiana Jones is a guy that never gives up. That's that's his yeah, whole and what you can, thing. And what you can do is you can have him be yeah. tired, you can have him be old, but the minute you bring something that sparks his imagination, he's got to care. And right. he's got to be then in it to win it. And if you make a whole movie where Indiana Jones never locks in and is excited and cheer, cheerful and on the case and being Indiana Jones... He can be Jones, reluctant all he wants at the outset, like every hero's journey. But the minute the grail or his dad or the ark is in sight, it's a real thing. He's he's in it. He cares. He's going to... And and there are so many fun... Like, Indiana Jones is... He's part action hero, but he's part detective. So he's old. He's in his 80s. <laughs> you can just have so much fun with the detective side of Indiana Jones and the problem solving, the the code cracking. I think we'd really, I think we'd really all be there for Indiana Jones, just puzzling things. And then you give the action to the younger people. I don't think we'd be there for Phoebe Phoebe Waller-Bridge being our action hero. hero. But, but yeah, it's like, if you never actually give me Indiana Jones being tenacious and moving forward, like the Energizer bunny, not giving up, you have not given me the primary Mm -hmm. thing I pay for an Indiana Jones movie for. Like I always, you can, you can have him be reluctant as you want through the first act, but somewhere in this movie, he needs to lock in and be excited and be doing his thing. Otherwise I have not actually seen Mm -hmm. an Indiana Jones movie. You have broken contract. You've broken faith with me. It's like you had some, like you you have that tablet, right? Like this is like the perfect example of this sort of thing. You've got the tablet and Indiana Jones can totally set up the guys in that room by misreading the tablet for them or setting it up to mean one thing when it actually means mm-hmm. another thing. And you can have all kinds of shenanigans like that that are really action-y. Like you can set up all kinds of puzzle box type things, any kinds of like booby trap scenarios, false flags, different kinds of, of ways for him to outwit people and create action scenes that he doesn't even have to be that much a part of. He just set the Rube Goldberg device in motion, and he's right. just the guy pulling the strings. Well, also, it would be relatively simple to de-age him. Like, de-aging gets more expensive, A, if someone's face has just changed a lot, then depending on how people age, it can be more expensive. But Harrison Ford has aged quite well. I mean, he's an old, old man now, but he, he, he does still look good for an 80-year-old. It would be relatively simple 
and inexpensive to age him, to de-age him 10 years. I mean, to actually give us right. something approximating the 60-year-old that we got in Crystal Skull. Like, we actually could have hung out with that version of Indiana Jones. And I, I shouldn't, I mean, I'm not a technician. I, I don't know. It's not, but I do know, like, like we need we need this beautiful actress to be 25 for a few more years than her biology actually has in her. They do that kind of thing all the time. You don't know it because mm-hmm. they, they actually do that so well that you just don't know it. I mean, Jennifer Aniston's been doing this kind of thing now way past her prime. Like, just to take one extreme example, I, I'm guessing that there's this new raunchy comedy with J-Law that's out right now. Yeah. And she's got to be, she's probably our age-ish. Maybe she's a little younger. I don't know. But she doesn't have to be. She has a longer shelf life because of computers. She's 32. 32. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, you know, still probably a very attractive woman. But I'm just saying, like, she can go for longer being something approximating the new hotness. My only point in all of that being, we could have taken 10 years off of Harrison Ford. We could have taken 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could have gotten back down to Crystal Skull. They, they bit off more than they could chew in making him, you know, a 30-year-old. And then it felt like they were trying to age him, actually. Like, you wanted 90s Harrison Ford. You wanted fugitive-era Harrison Ford to match the timeline. But they aged him, de-aged him into, like, Temple of Doom or, like, into 80s Harrison Ford. And it's like, actually... We wanted 90s Harrison Ford for this particular. What we wanted is for you to give us the 90s Indiana Jones movie that never happened, that never happened where he actually does fight the Nazis in World War II. That's obviously what. Ben, did you get anything out of that opening scene? Or was that just the... <clears throat> oh, we didn't even talk no, about the voice. <clears throat> yeah, the voice is terrible. And- the voice was terrible. Yeah, enough. I mean, what else do you have to say? They didn't age the voice, so it's terrible. No, the opening scene is, it's dull. I mean, it once it's trading on all your nostalgia, but it's, he's not good at editing action. He's not good at setups or payoffs as we were already talking about. Mangold isn't, and he's, and then there's, there's fast close-up edits here and there that are just careless and you can't even see what's happening with all the CGI that's, that's added to it. And then, and then it's just kind of a long scene of him doing stuff on a train that in Spielberg's hand would have been fun or funny. Or surprising, or something, but is it just doesn't? It doesn't been so matter. Many, there've been so many good train action scenes by now that you cannot have yep. that be the opening action scene of your Indiana Jones movie without doing something fresh, original, and new with it. You just have uh-huh. to have a creative take on the on a train scene, or you can't do a train scene. It's I just mean, so I, stupid. And I think lazy. there are there are a couple things that I, I will say: the bell being stuck around his neck with the bomb. That comes the mm-hmm. closest to being like a Spielberg, like a classic Raiders yeah. kind of, uh-oh, Indiana Jones, he's in another pickle. Yep. That's a mm-hmm. nice little moment, but it's not very well shot or choreographed, and the CGI is bad for his facial. Like like real Harrison Ford, the actor in his prime, will be doing so many, pulling so many goofy faces and kind of hamming it up. I mean, Harrison Ford can actually be pretty silly in those scenes, those kinds of scenes. And yeah. you, when you have the CGI monstrosity, it's hard to <laughs> approximate that. And then, yeah, you have lame train gags and like either there's things that in Spielberg's hands, you can just imagine he would have done something clever with the, the gun that goes off and slaughters all the Nazis that, that Indiana Jones doesn't really have anything to do with. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what Spielberg would have done with that, but he would have had more fun with, it would have felt fun. We've got a random gun going off and it's, Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Ben, any other I mean, thoughts? Nah, I don't think so. 
you were saying beforehand that Helena Shaw is your new favorite character and Teddy is. Yeah, I, I was saying that. You thought Teddy was so well written and such a like. Yep. Forget yep. you forget short round, I think, was your. That's right. The Oscar goes to Teddy. The Oscar goes to Teddy. Can't believe I still mm-hmm. remember that character's name. Well, uh, the movie made you care. Yes, yes, it did. Raheem, the great <laughs> villain. Yeah, the great subplot there. Raheem. Did you guys yeah, ever, you know. It's, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to ask: Did you guys no. ever crack a smile at any of what's her face's wisecracks? No, I don't know. There, that I smiled the there was movie. there was one line that I liked. I mean, I could tell that this movie. I, I saw that in the screenwriting credits. The final name, I think, was David Coop, who's mm-hmm. written a lot of stuff. And I, I could tell that the movie had been, someone had tried to punch it up. Yeah. And I, I feel like that was that must have been Coop, because that's the kind of thing he would do, or however you say his name. But there was one line by Helena Shaw I liked. What was it? Indy's, yeah, it was it was about Rashim. Indy was like, what do you owe that guy? And she said, bail money and a lifetime of happiness. That was that was pretty clever. In a, in a good movie, I would have liked it. I think, I think she's because obviously... Because she was engaged in... She's Whatever. talented. I mean, I, I think I think the only sure. thing standing behind b- yeah. between the audience's affections and Helena Shaw is filmmakers with the humility and with the understanding and without sort of feminist chips on their shoulders so that you can discipline the character. Like Helena yeah, yeah, Shaw yeah, needs to fall on her face. It's the Catherine Hepburn thing we talked about yeah, back exactly. in. Catherine Hepburn's so, so annoying and, and such an abrasive, shrewish person. But the, but but Philadelphia's st- story starts with Cary Grant Grant like smacking her in the face and pushing her over, and then the whole movie proceeds to do nothing but humiliate her and 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 it, you know Maureen O'Hara always did the same thing. I'm, I'm comparing Helena Shaw to two of the great screen women ever. But you you have these women who play strong, abrasive, kind of annoying characters, and then the movie has the wherewithal to take the wind out of their sails a little bit. And it's not just a feminism thing or a, a feminine thing. It's like any character. Indiana Jones himself would be insufferable if he, he wasn't didn't, getting beat up all the time. If he wasn't getting beaten up all the time. If he didn't sometimes make the wrong choices. If things didn't always go his way. And so yeah. if the movie was constantly like Helena Shaw wants to be this awesome rogue, but she's actually either bumbling and bad at it or her arrogance gets her into trouble and she suffers for it in a way that yeah, we can sympathize with. Then we would like her. her yeah, no, would go I actually want to. I think that Phoebe Waller Bridge actually deserves a lot of credit for making the character for, less insufferable. Yeah, than for she, making me not walk mm-hmm. out of the movie. She actually, she's actually a pretty compelling, charming actress. She didn't mm-hmm. have anything to play, and yeah, he, I think that she was remarkably not obnoxious, given how obnoxious the character or non-character. Right was written to be just in terms of the story. Like she brought some actual charm, some, some charisma to that role that I just, I just think, you know, okay, yeah, let's, as an actress, let's give her a little bit of credit for, for, I don't know. As an actress, as a comedian, as, I mean, I, I think she actually delivers those lines well, and they're not bad lines for the most part. This movie has more real wit probably in its dialogue than Crystal Skull does, but, it just doesn't matter because yep. you're not connected to. It doesn't matter. They didn't. They didn't draw a character. I mean, actually, the real counterpoint for Helena Shaw is Marion, and the thing about Marion is that she's mad at Indiana Jones. She's screechy. She's played by an actress of limited range. Everything works 
Marion shouldn't be a likable character, and a lot of people don't like Marion. The saving grace of Marion is that she is a woman in a man's world, and the movie plays fair with at least her physicality, such that she's constantly in danger. She's constantly having to outthink people. She's she's getting manhandled and shoved around and hurt and threatened in such a way that you care. Like Indiana Jones has someone he needs to rescue. Mm-hmm. Like she's she brings yeah. at least physical vulnerability. Marion's smart. She's scrappy. She's feisty. She can usually outthink a villain if she has any time, but. The movie doesn't give her all the chips all the time, and therefore you like her and you root for her, even though she's mm-hmm. got a lot of, even though in some ways she's written. Got a in, lot more annoying qualities than yeah. Tubular Bridges' character does. Right. But just the fact yeah. that she's going to be manhandled by Nazis and they're about to put her eye out, and you think they could probably do it, and she's not just going to smile and like do a backflip or something. They're like, okay, well, yeah, I, I don't want to see this woman's eye get put out. And you could have done similar things with. Phoebe Waller Bridge, but she's just super powered the whole time. I don't know that she. You ever... didn't have to make her. What's her face from Temple? Yeah, no, I, I think Marion's the perfect. Obviously, what they were going for, but they just wanted to do the updated, what they saw mm-hmm. as modern version of that. And the updated modern version isn't fun because Indiana Jones rescuing Marion gives him something to do. The reason he's got to beat that mechanic that ends up biting it in the propeller is because Marion's trapped in a plane with gasoline that's about to explode. And it creates this thing called suspense, which creates this thing called audience investment. It really helps when some characters aren't superpowered fighters. It, it really actually <laughs> brings yeah. some degree of audience investment. And you can find other ways to make your female character or your kid character strong. Like, we're not we, yeah we don't just want willie scott nobody likes willie scott i actually do kind of like willie scott i think she's funny but like we're not asking for a willie scott yeah we're just mm-hmm. we're, all we want is marion <laughs> or ilsa she was a good indie girl she was a great indie girl mm-hmm. yeah all right ben how many hmm, fedoras yeah how many fedoras out Tuck-tucks. of tucks yeah, okay, fine. How many I want to give it tuck tucks. How many tucks out of 14 tuck tucks do you give this movie? I'll give it two. Two tuck tucks. Brutal. Yep. You, you're basically handcuffing this movie underwater and <laughs> swimming away and letting it drown. <laughs> what it deserves. <laughs> what it deserves. <laughs> yes, a fine way to dispatch this film. Jake, how many tuck tucks? One. Wow. I'm not even going to joke about giving it 14 tuck tucks. Yeah. <clears throat> I'd love to give it zero, but it is too competent for that it doesn't deserve the dignity of zero yeah uh-uh. if it, if ryan johnson made it maybe we could give it zero right like this movie does not rise to the level of hatred i, I guess one final question i'll give it three tuck tucks i guess did did you guys like the time travel stuff did did, did you get anything out of that was that fun no, or it was, stupid no or? it was just it could have been fun no. like all that stuff could have been fun if we would have like had a little bit of arc music and a little bit of setup and established. Like you can't trade on like okay, the Ark of the Covenant you can or the Holy Grail you can trade on some lore and knowledge. You have to do a little bit more work to set it up with something mm-hmm. like Archimedes style. And so just do that for us. Like and you weren't getting that in the little archive room with the two of them. Yeah. And so just like Make it special, make it build some lore out of it, and then 
have it be part of the actual emotional character arc of Indiana Jones. Like you said, you know, living in the past, that's the whole, okay, well, but they just, they just didn't do any of that legwork at all. It nope. makes no sense. There is no lesson Indiana Jones learns. He has no choices to make. It's just all taken out of his hands. He's just along for the ride like you are. And it's stupid. Yep. So it could have been. Mm-hmm. It could have been fun. It could have been great. It could have, they could have done all kinds of things with that little bit of time travel lore if they wanted to. Yeah, but they suck, so. Yeah, and for Pete's sake, mm. have Mads Mikkelsen swallow the time stream and then turn into a skeleton or something. We don't yeah. need no lame airplane death and then... He's got a gory corpse. Okay. That's that's not exciting. Nope. And his tench, his primary white supremacist henchman who we've seen kill a thousand innocent people doesn't get his own special death. I mean, at least have that guy get hit with a spear or something like that. Also, he gunned down nope. lots of talk about changing the time stream. Okay, whatever. Whatever. This movie deserves nah, no, no further discussion. James Mangold. Yep. You suck. You failed. Horrible. Yep. Harrison yep. Ford versus Ferrari. I don't know what that means. Okay. Has about as much meaning as this movie. Yeah, exactly. All right. Until next time. Oh, for goodness sake. Is there a quotable line in this movie? Um, Why didn't he say it's not the years, honey, it's the mileage? That would have been a much better if these characters are going to remember some random thing they said 50 years hurt. ago. Yep. <laughs>